Hi, welcome to Matters of the Heart and Soul. I'm your host, Janie Charlotte. Matters of the Heart and Soul is a podcast to raise awareness and awaken humanity to all that is within. We want to be a beacon of light on your life journey. Hey everyone, welcome to Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast. I am your host, Janie Charlotte. Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast is a podcast inspired by all things of the heart and soul. On today's show, we are speaking with Ms. Kina Reed. Ms. Kina is a communication practitioner, researcher, and educator. She currently acts as the director of forensics and teaches in the Department of Communication Studies at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. Um, Her research focuses on race and gender identity constructions, but mostly Kina believes true societal change can only occur when each individual in any given society is empowered to find their voice in the world. So welcome to the podcast, Kina. Yay! (laughs) It's good to have you here. Um, And like I said, we are- It's good to be had. Great. (laughs) Uh, We are talking about how historical and social issues shape Black relationships. So, Kina, just let's get rolling with it. You know, I'm excited about this conversation. Uh, Like, I'm excited that we're having it on a collective level, and I'm also excited about the ways this information can be transmitted on a personal Mm -hmm. level. Um, I think Black intimacy is one of those things that we have taken for granted in terms of its existence. And to be more specifically, I think because as a community, we have fought to be resilient and hold on to our cultural relics and symbols and norms, that in some ways we feel like we are connected and we definitely are. But I think a lot of the things that connect us in the black community, unfortunately, um, are still some things that are painful for us as well. Like for example, we are connected via trauma. We are connected via structural violence. Um, And so one of the questions I've been asking myself and further research projects will be responding to this idea of can we have true intimacy in the Black community? Mm-hmm. And can we be truly good together as Black folks? Uh, a conversation I was having online with uh, an amazing scholar recently, and the question was posed, do we even know how to be together? Hmm. And that seems like a simple question on the surface, but when you start thinking about the nuances, the answer for me is no. Um, And even saying that seems wrong, right? It feels like some kind of betrayal to say that I don't think Black people, and let me be specific, I'm talking about uh, Black people who are the descendants of slaves in the Americas, okay? Mm -hmm. So I just want to give that a context. I'm not necessarily talking about um, Black people in the global community, although I do think there's some connections to that as well. Mm -hmm. And so do I think we have an intimacy problem in the Black community? Yes. 
And I think it starts with acknowledging that everything's not okay. Got it. So you, you just said something about intimacy. Um, let's touch a little bit on that. Um, break that down and how you see that in our relationships. And let's, let's go with um, husband and wife, uh, mother, daughter, father, son. Um, break that down for us in the Black community. And in- so if intimacy is connected to these concepts of like shared knowledge, uh, shared meaning, shared understanding, then I do think there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking about Black men and Black women specifically, well, also let me just add this. I don't think, and you and I have had this conversation uh prior I don't think that intimacy can be created when 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 an individual or individuals are in survival mode so let me start there Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Uh, no one's ever thriving if they're just surviving I get that I totally get that and so so just so our listeners know what do you mean by just like we're surviving and I mean I think people know what surviving is but maybe not (laughs) you know people Okay. Yeah. Well, let me because if knowledge is power, we got to break it down, right? Yeah. So, uh, I think surviving is focusing on getting the most basic needs met. Right. So, if we think about something, and I'm not trying to do teacher talk, okay? but just I don't like wanna... maybe making that decision between paying your light bill and getting your medicine. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know. I would direct readers uh, an interesting model uh, that has been theorized about what humans need is Maslow's hierarchy of ideas. Mm -hmm. And the argument he has is that there are five needs that most humans have um, physiological safety, esteem, belonging, and then self-actualization. And so if somebody is self-actualizing, which is at the, at the top of the period, and there's a lot of people who disagree with this claim, so I'm not trying to make this like biblical truth for anybody, but if we're self-actualizing, then we're being our fullest selves, or to use the phrase, we're living our best lives. Yeah. We're able to achieve goals. Mm-hmm. We're able to think critically. We're able to uh, to process and problem solve and analyze. And the argument is that you can only do that if you feel safe. And that means financially secure, physically secure, mentally Mm -hmm. secure. You can only do that if your most basic needs are met root, like water and access to like access to clean water and food, you know, and oxygen. Right. And so so, you can't be when you're, you know, if if you're inside, if you're in survival mode, that means that you're stuck trying to get your most basic human needs met. You're trying to pay your bills. Right? So, you're trying to get yes, well, your and, use and of husband. just that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's definitely part of it, Jamie. But when we think about the people in Flint, Michigan, who are trying to get access to clean water, which most of us would agree is a basic human right, they there. They're not, like, they can't be safe if their drinking water isn't. Does that make totally. sense? So it's not it's not just about uh, just like financial gains, even though that is a part of it, because somewhere in Flint, there are parents who are working 
well and paying bills, but they can't control what comes out the tax. Right. Yeah, I totally get that. Just like you said, safety. Um, if you are, you know, trying to escape your domestic violent home or you can't exactly. be concerned about exactly. your self actualization exactly. and living in your purpose and all that because you're you to- and then and think about this. How dare you ask that person? You get what I'm saying? Like that's something that I constantly go to. You know, if we're having conversations about, yeah, girl, you need to do self-care. You got to make time for you. You got to figure out self-care. And isn't that an oxymoron to ask that of someone who, like you said, is in a, an abusive relationship and they're just trying to figure out how am I going to live to next week? Mm-hmm. I, you know, like, you know, I think we're so good in the Black community of kind of having these kind of blankets. And I'm not downing self-care, but that's why I say going back to these nuances, what we're asking people to thrive who are still trying to figure out how to survive. Got it. And And so intimacy can't grow in fear. It just can't. Those things are opposing. Mm -hmm. They're opposing. Mm -hmm. Totally get it. Um, so if we're, we're still trying to get, um, some of the things met, like you said, safety and belonging, um, is very hard to see to grow in that, but let's, let's say that we, you know, we are a little bit thriving. Um, is there any other social or hysterical issues that are affecting our relationships? Oh gosh. Um, for sure. Recently, I don't, I think I can make mention of another show, um, but there's a show on TV called The Real, and I don't want to get into all of the, like, line by line items here, but one of the hosts made the statement that, like, they were talking about why do Black men cheat or why do Black men have a hard time um, staying faithful and it's important to note that black people are mo- not monolithic and so that means that all black people don't do all the same things and so not all black men have the incapacity you know to not stay faithful monogamous mm-hmm. but one of the things she was trying to articulate was that because of slavery that it is really uh, made it difficult for black men to see themselves I think as wholly invested in the family unit. And she got a lot of slack for that comment when I actually think maybe there's some truth in that, in a sense that when we think about what slavery was and the impacts of slavery now, um, very early on, our ancestors in this country learned that there was very little value attached to their family. And what I mean by that is if there's a mom who knows that at any given time, her children can be taken away, her husband could be taken away, her most intimate people can be taken away. That means that there has been a value placed on the black family. And I think that even in contemporary society, all of us would say our families matter but then there are all of these different uh, structural and, you know, like mm-hmm. there's all these structural and institutional practices that are constantly saying that they don't, mm-hmm. right? Because like, what, what does something like mass incarceration say about the black family? 
when you sit there and think about what a crushing and dehumanizing experience the 1990s crime bill was for black people right Mm -hmm. there was a value attached to our families at that time when you think about the crack epidemic in the 80s and how it ravaged black communities there was a value being placed on our families there and so even though I can sit here Jamie and say black parents matter and black moms matter if we're constantly getting messages that say the opposite that is going to impact Mm -hmm. you if you tell your son you love him every day and that he's a visionary and he's great that is a great narrative But if 90% of what he hears outside of your home is that he doesn't have a future, he's a criminal, he's a thug, that message is also getting internalized. And they're at war with each other, Mm -hmm. right? Totally. And I think that because that exists so strongly, that's also another um, danger to us. Because so much of the narratives that we as Black people experience about ourselves don't come from ourselves, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So if we kind of expounded on slavery as being one of the mm-hmm. top three historical issues that are affecting Black relationships, um, can you expound a little bit? But I, but, um, well, so, I'm just, like, you know, the idea that there's some research out there that talks about the idea that trauma can be genetic. Mm. And the social psychologists have that have done this research have focused on Holocaust survivors mm-hmm. and their and the descendants of those families. And so what they're saying is here we are in contemporary society and the 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 survivors family members, you know, mm-hmm. many generations outside of the Holocaust are still um there are some physiological um, impacts so like for example something like cortisone you get what I'm mm-hmm. saying like the levels of cortisone which is a hormone and you should know more about this than me with your yeah, background but it is it's a stabilizing uh, hormone and so there's research that talks about the levels of cortisone that the descendants of holocaust survivors have versus those of the family members who don't have any connection to the holocaust mm-hmm. and so this idea that genetically um, we're impacted because of the trauma that's unsolved in our lives, I think is really substantial. And I think that can be connected to slavery. I totally agree. Um, I do believe that trauma can be embedded in DNA. And I think you and I spoke about Mm -hmm. this, about even when a pregnant woman, she is bonding with that baby in utero. So if that, woman is under stress that's why we tell pregnant women hey eat right work out get rest don't be stressed because that stress is on the baby so um of course if you know if you had a pregnant black slave female and you know she was yeah being whatever she was doing during that time i'm pretty sure some of that embedded in the dna um for sure and i think you know, and that's why I, if we look I think at, we said sometimes we we carrying around all this heaviness in us, and we don't even know what's wrong yes. when we were just born into it. This heavy yes. emotional like, pain. Yeah, when people start talking about things like generational curses yes. or being bought, born into poverty, yes. being born 
to addiction. Those things are very real. And I just want to kind of mirror back something I said earlier about survival. If we think about collectively what Black people in the United States have been doing um, since we were bought to this country, surviving is it, right? There is a resilience that we have. And one of the questions I ask is, when have we had a chance to do more than that, right? Because here's the thing, slavery ends, Reconstruction era, mm-hmm. and our um, our forefathers and foremothers are like free, mm-hmm. and then and they're trying to figure out how to get it right because they didn't get freed from slavery and then given handbooks on like okay this is how you pay your taxes right. this is how you buy this is how you learn how to read and write it was more like get off my land you get what I'm saying and so reconstruction which most historians would argue was a failed project then at that point we also had the rise of white supremacy so like the Ku Klux Klan you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying and so black people at that point are free but they're trying to figure out how not to get murdered mm-hmm. by men hood, mm-hmm. right then, you know fast forward reconstruction then we have civil rights and that was a great period the civil rights era was a great period for us but that was still about surviving segregation mm-hmm. right segregated schools segregated hospitals i mean janie you know again going back to your medical background people in louisiana think about it if new orleans was the only place that had a segregated hospital at the time how many black people do you think died in louisiana just because they couldn't get access to adequate medical care so in segregation here we are again just trying to survive right Right. then I mean, excuse me, in civil in the Civil War era, here we are just trying to survive segregation mm-hmm. and Jim Crow, you know, policies. Mm-hmm. Then you move forward, and there's this period in the 70s where we're like, James Brown, say it loud, I'm Black and I'm proud. Mm-hmm. And we survived Civil War, and we started to negotiate a narrative about Blackness that was strong and resilient and beautiful. And we barely get to get out of the 70s before, boom, the crack ep- epidemic hits hard. And I always go back to say the crack epidemic didn't just hit people who were users, but it also impacted families and friends. And even if you weren't anywhere near people who did crack or bought crack or whatever, when the face of crack became black women, right? Do you remember some of those commercials from the 80s? You know, it was always about black men in handcuffs or black women, like, you know, using drugs and their kids were crying. So black people became the face of that. So black people were impacted and indicted uh, about those issues, even if we were far removed from it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've always been trying to survive all these toxic systems thrown at us so one of the questions I always come back to is when have we even had a chance to be fully human to be fully free enough to even explore what real intimacy will mean wow that's a great historical outline you just did because I'm list I listened to you and you took me all the way through and um you're right and then I did add I didn't add but going back and then in the 90s yeah because of the crack epidemic then we had mass incarceration 
And so we're watching our brothers and our fathers and our uncles be completely sucked away in this system that is profitable for a community of some people. But for us, it's about breaking down that family unit. Mm -hmm. So we have decades of, you know, or these marked periods of time where we were so disconnected because of the systematic violence against Mm -hmm. us. So what have you, so we're in 2020. So what have you um, picked up in the 2000s, the last 20 years? Oh, oh gosh, Janie, we can be here for hours. I know, but just give me a Barack Obama. A quick summary, because you know? I, I have a, a, a take on it as well. But just, yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. Barack so B- Barack Obama gave us these eight years, these shining, mm-hmm. these shining years on the mountaintop. But if you're asking me where we are in 2020, you know, we're living in the reaction to so much anger mm-hmm. and resentment that a black man in this country got to the highest office Mm -hmm. um, that one can have, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it's funny because people talk about the increase in white supremacy and this is fact-based. I'm not telling you opinions. I mean, there's, there's numbers, the Southern Poverty Center, um, Equal Justice Initiative will all give you numbers that will certify how Uh, systematic racism and white supremacy are on the rise. In fact, specifically in relationship to the film Just Mercy, Mm -hmm. we recognize that in 2018, there are more people in this country who support capital punishment in 2018 than they did in 2016. And what does that mean? It means that there are, and most of those people are white. And I say that to say that even if we had eight years where being black was considered great because of Barack Obama, now we're living in the aftermath of that, mm-hmm. which is how dare black people try to reach that highest goal. But so, but do you feel because of because of that, you know, the last Barack giving us eight years, um, I feel that there's a shift. Um, I feel mm-hmm. that there's a mental shift. I feel like we are reaching self-actualization. Um, not not the whole, but I do feel like... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, on an individual level, for sure. Yeah, but, I feel you know, like we're... Um, we are, like, we're, we're getting uh, mastery over a lot of things, and we're realizing that uh, we don't have to live in this fear. Does that make sense? For sure. Yeah. Wow. But... I'm also one of those people who's like, oh, how, what's the phrase? It ain't fun until the homies can come or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would still, you know, I would still posit that there's still a significant amount of our people, you know, um, black women, right? Janie, I mean, the t- like, what's the latest number about how many black people women and girls are missing right now right and that's not largely discussed it's not something on the nightly news that's everything that's going on right now you're right yeah so I would still think I would still argue and assert that there's still a value being placed or a lack of value being placed on black lives that consistently keeps us feeling like we have like how can I feel safe as a black woman knowing that people are just scooping up black women left and right Mm -hmm. and there's a lack of national coverage about it yeah you know um 
there's just so many ways that even and I feel like I am at a place where I'm probably higher up on that hierarchy Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. but I also do uh I do research and I teach around race and gender and I'm very aware that my skin my body for a lot of my own students can create the kind of tension that makes someone says I'm gonna come to school I'm gonna come to campus one day and shoot her like I'm I constantly think about, like, how far is too far, Tina? Like, can you take it so far that you could be a victim of this type of hatred? I've had students um, curse me out in class before, um, make racial derogatory terms about me. And all at LSU? Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And so I'm always aware that I'm putting my body on the line to a certain extent by even talking about these issues publicly. So I I would say that even in our most self-actualized self, we're still living in an America that's still very much anti-Black. And so any safety we have or any safety we pursue is still limited because of those those violent systems. Mm-hmm. Right. So just, just kind of to make sure we're all on the same page, um, some social and historical issues that are affecting our black relationships. We talked about, you know, intimacy, um, being in survival mode. Like it's hard to get that because you're in survival mode. Uh, we talked about slavery being one of the main issues. Um, the crack epidemic, mass incarceration, civil rights. And here we are, um, in 2020 and we're trying to figure out, what do you think is the key um, moving forward? But before you answer that, let's let's go be a little bit specific. So, specifically in relationships, let's. What are the the biggest relationships affected? I would say it is the black man and the black woman. Be, and the way the reason why I'm saying that is because in any community, you have to have your home in order, right? Because if mm-hmm. home is not in order, then my community is not in order. Then if my community, which is my direct neighborhood, is not in order, then my city is not in order, right? Then yeah. from there, my whole nation. So let's start in the home. Let's start in the black home, right? And that's yes. and in the woman. Yes. Most of the time, I mean. <laughs> yeah, let's expound on that. But yeah. Um, yeah. What's affecting I- affecting? black marriages relationships what is it because <laughs> you know i think as women we want to understand the men the men trying to understand us yeah, um, yeah. but well, we're yeah so let me also be clear that i'm definitely speaking from the position of like being a straight woman a cisgender woman mm-hmm. and so i definitely see those things from this perspective um i think you know again this is you caught me on a day where I've kind of had some kind of interrogation with some of these issues prior to our conversation. Um, Cause I've been in dialogue with a couple friends today, specifically talking about why don't people trust black women? And, and are we, you people know, as in all, all people. Okay. All, all people, I didn't think right? people like, didn't trust black women. I thought it was the black oh, man. Oh, Oh, I mean, but well, let's back that train up because (laughs) I do agree that the black man, right, 
um, represents a a toxicity in society. But I think a lot of times what people fail to see is that we're still connected to it. So uh, when Malcolm X says that the least protected person in the whole world is the black woman, mm-hmm. right? That's from Malcolm X himself. Not only are we dealing with racism, but we're also dealing with the patriarchy and misogyny. I don't think black men trust black women, right? So like no one believes us at our word, right? Um, You know, I mean, there's just so many different examples that talk about this. Um, Just give us one. Well, just like, for example, sexual assault, right? The rate of sexual assault that happens to all women um, in most civilized society um, but in terms of like how many of black women's um, uh, their assailants, like how few black women actually get justice against their assailants. Again, I want to be clear in general women, it is hard for women to get justice against their assailants, but for black women, those numbers start to get minimized. Um, the fact that black women are constantly positioned as the Jezebel, right? And that's in personal storytelling, but also in the media. She's got to have it, quote unquote. And, are you, and when you say Jezebel, unquote. are you referring to the Jezebel spirit in the Bible? No, I'm referring to the archetype or it's the, um, the trope that we often see in media, like the black woman who's unsatiable. She just like even if, and again, it happened in slavery, right? The idea would be that the reason why the master was we know he was raping his slaves, but the story or the spin at the time was black women, they're just, they're animals. They got to have it. Like they just have to have sexual relations. Um, and that's what I mean. The Jezebel, the idea that black women are sexual, they're sexual deviants who can't control their sexual appetites and they'll sleep with your man, her man, his man, you know, like all of that stuff. Hmm. That's still day. And I think this idea that, Uh, people feel like they can question black women's motives. They feel like they can question black women's expertise. I can, and it's it's not just one field, rather you're a black woman who's a lawyer or a black woman who's a doctor, black woman who's professor. You know, I have students who ask me questions that I know they wouldn't dare pose to a professor who was a man, even if that man was Hispanic or black or Asian. Mm. And so the idea that people constantly feel like they can critique black women's uh, lived experiences, you know, Mm. I'm a part of uh, like an online group and there were a couple black women who made statements in this online group recently. And, you know, there was more than one, but people kept for every black woman in the group who said, this is my truth three people came back behind her and said, oh, I think you're imagining this, or oh, that can't be accurate. And then another Black woman would be like, no, no, that's true. Mm -hmm. And then somebody would come up behind her and be like, oh, I think you missed it, right? And so finally, we kind of landed to the place where like, can y'all just listen? Can y'all just trust us? Like, if we say that this is our lived experience, believe it. Mm -hmm. And that's not just non-Blacks. I mean, that's Black men too you know Mm -hmm. and that's a whole nother put that on your list right like do black men truly trust uh black women Uh, yeah yeah because like Mm -hmm. do they trust their intellect 
do they trust their motivations do they trust their hearts like there's a series of things to unpack there yeah that is you're so right and so that is what make it hard in in the black family right in the black yes that's just one of those things that's one of those Uh, things um else do you do you see as you know hindering the relationships in the black home I also think that and again, this, I'm saying I'm focusing on the home because I feel like yeah, that well, is so after start. So, like, yeah, so in addition to uh black men and black wi- women trying to figure out how to survive, that is a threat to their intimacy. In addition to the idea that black men or just the idea that black women are constantly questioned and not trusted, that's a threat to their intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I the third thing I would say is that in a lot of ways, Black women consistently serve as the conduit for the Black man's pain and mm. own trauma. Yes. So, yeah. going back I to that. a film I watched a few years ago, it was like the Nat Turner, Turner story. There was a scene in the movie where the uh, master asked the slave woman to come to the big house to entertain a guest he had that was male. So read between the lines. Mm -hmm. He basically wants her to come and um, have non-consensual sex with a guest, right? Because she can't consent. She's a slave, right? It's not like she could say, no, thanks, master. I'm going to stay at home. Mm -hmm. And her husband is watching this the whole time, Mm -hmm. right? Feeling powerless. Feeling powerless. He doesn't get to defend his wife. He doesn't get to, I mean, it's, technically she's not even considered his wife because slaves weren't allowed to be married, but that's a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. And so what happens the moment after what happens the morning after Mm -hmm. he's not spoken about, he, he has voice. We can completely ignore it or his resentment grows and grows, but he can't target it to who he really wants to give it to. Can he? Wow. He can't go knock on the master's door and be like, I can't believe you demasculated me, right? And so nine times out of 10, he's going to give that to his wife or to his mother, or to his sister, or to his daughter. And so it's the same right now in a wow. world where men are surrounded by toxic masculinity. And that's just not black men. That's all men, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but it gets more pressure when you're a black man. So if you're a black man at work and you've been, uh, You've, you've been passed over for a promotion three times and then you get in your car and you drive home and then you get pulled over by a cop and you get disregarded. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And as a black man, you're constantly, constantly being disregarded and then you head home. And if you don't have a proper medium for dealing with that disregard, dealing with that disrespect, dealing with that anger, who are you going to hand it to if not black women? So that's the third thing I think we really got to wrap our brains around is that black women end up being the conduit for black men's pain that is unresolved. Wow. That is heavy. That is deep. Um, and that has so many layers to it, Kina, because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, even back to slavery, like you said, yeah. when the black man is so mentally broken down, um, and he don't speak on it. And that pain uh, goes into the DNA, right, of the next generation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, it is interesting because Black women, I do feel, have been the only sense of peace for the Black man. Yep. 
And it's interesting because her motives are questioned. For sure. I mean, think about <laughs> you see what I'm saying. You know, we're, let's let's talk about interracial. And then she's not protected. Bit. She's not protected. Often he's not protected. He's not protected. Then, she's yeah. Uh, and if he is not secure, she's picked right, over often. Yeah. Yeah, he's not protected either, but he doesn't know how to deal with that. Right. So let's talk about interracial dating for just a second. Because one of the biggest critiques I've heard from black men who only date women outside their race. So I want to make that clear. All right. I'm talking about black men who have say who who have said who declare I refuse to date a black woman. And some of those responses have been things like they stay angry. They're always angry. They're always aggressive. They're always angry. I know you've heard some of those lines, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so my so uh, a few years ago, that conversation came up in one Are of my classes. Are they aggressive? <laughs> yeah. And so the black student in my class, and he was, a, he was a little older, okay? So he wasn't like a 17-year-old, you know, Brussels sprout. But he says, yeah, you know, black girls, they stay mad. They stay mad. And I said, well, if this assertion you're making is true, why wouldn't they? And he says, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm like, aren't there lots of things for black women to be angry about? Right? Is it possible that a black woman is angry about the fact that her 16-year-old son just started driving without her in the car? And she's so frightened that he's going to get pulled over and a victim of police brutality. Can't she be angry about that? Mm-hmm. Can't she be angry about the fact that she can't afford the bail to get her, her husband out of jail or her uncle out of jail? Can't she be angry about that? Can't mm-hmm. she be angry about the fact that she earns 77 cents for every male dollar? Right? Mm-hmm. Can't she be angry about it? So if we're going with the nucleus here that black women stay angry, there's lots for us to stay angry about. Mm-hmm. And instead of well, and us, you said something. You said stay angry, and I'm I just feel like the only time we have is the present time. Like we can't think about the past because it keeps us in yeah. the and we can't think about the future because it causes anxiety. So the only time we have is the present time. Yeah, and but that's easier said than done. Of course. No, 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 no. Of life. course. I totally yeah. agree. I think in order to heal, you, we have to first understand. Exactly. So we can't but heal to say that, to make without that going back and understanding. We can't do that. Yeah. We're not saying forget. Yeah. But I'm saying yeah. um, it's almost like, what do we do now? Like, do we coach black women do we coach black men do we you know like what well I think I think you know in terms of what we know from a spiritual background um you know what do we do to engage God right and do you think that's the only way well let me be more specific what does God teach us about engagement and I think the first part of that is what confession and repentance and what that means for us. I think um, like as spiritual practices, confession is telling the truth over something. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Whereas repentance is an acknowledgement of harm 
and then turning away from it. And so those are two things that I think would be really good for us in the black community confession. And when I say confession, I'm talking about truth telling. Let's call it what it is. But unfortunately, silence is a commodity in the black community. I mean, think about it. <laughs> yeah, like, it is. just get stitches, right? Like, like, we've learned at birth that you don't talk about, you don't really talk about, um, you know, you, you call it something else. Diabetes is the sugar. Or you don't call your bipolar uncle bipolar. You say, oh, he's a little off. So we have a hard time telling the truth in the black community, mm-hmm. right? We just, we, we, we do. So I think those two things are important to us. Those two spiritual practices confess and learn how to tell the truth at all times. Speak on it. Don't, don't keep Speak it. On at, it. Yeah. Don't, don't reimagine the narrative. You know, I think about that and then going back to even like sexual violence and sexual abuse yeah. that black women experience. How many of our black girls have to sit at Thanksgiving with their abusers? Mm. Yeah. How yeah. many black women are sitting at places of worship with their abusers? Right. Mm. And until we can tell the truth and the whole truth about those things, that we can't even figure out how to repent and to apologize for the harm and turn in a different direction. So those are the things I feel like we have to learn how to move forward. Tell the truth about it and be able to reconcile and to say, you know, this is what I really hurt you. I've really harmed you. That's a great insight, Kina. Yeah. That's... So those are the things that I think we can learn to do. Um, but we just have to, we have to, like I said, but that would that would take us collectively agreeing mm-hmm. that there are some things we've lied about. Mm-hmm. Wow. Acknowledgement. Yeah. That is a great perspective, actually. Um, and it, and it, just, it just makes you think, like, you know, what have I done to harm my sister? What have I done to harm my, my spouse? What have I done to harm my yeah. child? Acknowledge that. If somebody, yeah. if more than one person is telling you the same thing over and over again, it may be some truth to it. And yep. when we get so far from the truth where we're denied, we're in denial, it's hard to come back from that because you're so far from who you authentically are. And I think we all live in a capitalist society. We all live in, uh, you know, the patriarchy, all these different systems that really encourage us not to do that work, actually. Like, you know, capitalism thrives off of people spending a lot of money to imagine a future that may not even match their lives, right? How many kids go to college? That's such a, I mean, college in itself is a great example. Go to college thinking that is the only path to success, and success looks like having three mansions on a hill, and a Lamborghini, you get what I'm saying? So we live in a lot of systems that tell us that in some ways the fabrication is better than the realness. And so we've really got to like back off some of those trends. Yeah, we have to quit saying let's make it till we make it. 
Oh, for sure. That's a <laughs> whole word. We have to stop saying That's that. We have word. to stop telling other people to do that. We got, we, there's so much stuff we got to stop saying, Janie. We got to stop saying fake it till you make it. We got to stop saying whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. That's the biggest lie the devil ever told. If it didn't kill me, that means I probably developed some kind of horrible coping strategy to manage it. You know, mm-hmm. like, so there's a lot of stuff we need to stop saying. We got to stop saying snitches get stitches. There's some stuff I need to snitch on. Period. Yeah, you're right. And, um, you know, our words have power. So we really have to be careful what we are putting out in the universe and speaking on because that's what we're bringing back to our lives. You know what I'm saying? And, and there is something else. I think um, I'm not a parent, but I'm an aunt, right? I'm, I'm the aunt of seven. Oh, Lord, there's several of them, of them now. So I have seven nieces and nephews. And I know you are, you have a son. Mm-hmm. And I do think this is a magical moment in terms of saying, not this kid, not this generation. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when my first nephew was born, I remember somebody told him uh, something along the lines of like, boys don't cry or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I carry up and corrected that. I said, no, ma'am. Mm-hmm. I said, we can ask him to talk about what he feels, but we're not going to tell him he can't. Yes, absolutely. Right? And so, and so, even now he's eight, and I'm so quick. Like I have never told him you cannot cry. Now I have tried to redirect him. Right? I've been like, "Can you use your words? Please use your words." Yeah. Danny wants to hear your words, but I've never dared to tell him you better not cry. You can't cry. No. Like, yes. It's totally okay to cry. I I tell my son that. Yeah. um, And I think I try to get him to express his emotions. And that's, we have to try to coach them by doing that. And it's a lot of things we just have to get away from uh, because we have a lot of emotions. I mean, I understand why our mom and dads told us those things because, like, they couldn't even imagine, like, going back into survival mode. They didn't have to sit there in the front row just trying to make sure we ate. You get what I'm saying? And so now if there's, uh, you know, where there's, what's the scripture? You know, people suffer because of the lack of knowledge. And now that we do have some knowledge that kids need to be affirmed, their opinions need to, their feelings need to count. So with this next generation, with, you know, every generation of our black kids, we can make sure that they understand you have a place. You have value. And helping yeah. them negotiate that in ways that we just, we didn't have access to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, if, if like we said, we can start in our own homes with our own children, our own spouses, relationships, in communicating and um, practicing some of the things that you said, self-acknowledgement or acknowledgement of issues and, you yeah. know, not sit in silence and, um, you know, trying to attack some of these issues that have bothered us through generations and so that we're not passing these things down to our children. Um, I feel like we could we could make a turn, you know? And it's yep. still work to do mentally because um renew your mind the bible says to renew your mind and that is truly it because once you understand that all the thoughts you have starts in your mind you just need to change your thought yeah. that's really yeah change your thought change your life yeah <laughs> and, I, life. and also unplug and also unplug and so i'm gonna get super spiritual 
for a second here, you know, um, or I wouldn't even call it spiritual. Maybe this is some of my own theological thoughts coming out here. But the work of the cross, you know, people make it about, you know, Jesus was born and he lived, he died and rose again. And all of those things are true. But my interpretation in terms of the work of the cross, because people talk about he snatched the keys of death from Satan. And that is true as well. But that act, that single act that changed humanity for all time was a great divorce too. And when I say divorce, what I mean is Jesus's separation at that moment was saying, Kina, this act divorces you from the need to be affirmed Mm. through your bank account. This act divorces you from the need to be affirmed through your partner, Mm -hmm. right? Like all of these things that these larger systems keep trying to sell us, Mm -hmm. the act of the cross was supposed to be the great divide. And that's saying, I know that this is what the world is going to constantly tell you your value is, but I'm telling you your value is because you live and breathe and have been created. So I'm all for that. We really have to tap out of these systems that as children of God, yes, we're supposed to no longer subscribe to. When you think about a magazine coming to your house, right? It is so frustrating when a magazine keeps showing up to your house and you've like, I've, you know, unsubscribed to this magazine three times. Why am I still getting people? They still charging me. It's similar. Why are you still subscribing to something that has no profit for you? Mm-hmm. Stop getting it in your mailbox. Yes. And I agree with you with um, realizing that we come from the creator and that all these other things yeah. do not define us. So it is not about your square footage of your house. It is not about the title. It is not about you know, how much money is sitting in your bank account. It really isn't because we have millionaires committing suicide. So it can't be about that. Well, and the idea, Jay, that people only matter because of these, these ambiguous numbers. First of all, money ain't real. Like it has real impact for sure. But it's energy. Money is just energy. (laughs) And it becomes powerful once you make that exchange. So money is just... So all of these things that we're counting on to give us value, we've got to figure out a way to rehumanize ourselves yes. outside of all those systems. Yeah. And I, you know, my whole thing is I always say it, it, it goes down to love. I believe God is love. I believe the yeah. creator is about love. So if you could get back down to that basic thing, and what I mean by that is just in every exchange and every transaction in your life, whether it's you and I, Kina, or it's with me and my son, or me yeah. and a coworker, I am in that transaction allowing love to take place and I'm allowing myself to receive love because communication as you know because you're the communication specialist is a complete loop isn't it uh some people would say it's a circle yes <laughs> yeah right because if i'm just talking and not listening I, I you know how are we communicating here yeah so but so many but janie and you know invite me back to the podcast 
But most people don't even know how to listen. And that's a whole nother conversation. What you think is listening probably ain't listening. So there's Yeah, that. and that's a whole nother podcast as well. But um, yes. we are going to wrap it up. Kina, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, I really hope that it has shed a lot of light to a lot of our listeners. And I want to ask you, what book would you recommend to our listeners? Oh, goodness gracious. I did not expect that. Oh, and you would think uh, that that should be something I could easily do. But and the reason why I can't easily <laughs> say this is because I, I mean, I would be asking, like, from what perspective? Like, if your reader is an educator, then I'm going to say, you know, they should be reading Teaching to Trans- T- Teaching to Trans- Transgress by Bell Hooks. Mm-hmm. I mean, if your listener is someone who is just starting to unpack their understanding of systematic violence, I would say they should be reading Stamp from the Beginning. Um, so it's just, I see. so I mean, <laughs> if you are, uh, if you're a listener who's trying to figure out how to deal with white supremacy in the workplace, I would tell them they need to be list. They need to be reading. I'm still here, but uh, Austin Brown. Okay. So I think I would need to know the context of why they're reading. But those, those are three great examples. I think that's more than enough. Yes, I can recommendation. Give, look, I can give. Yeah. Thank you. Do I need to say them again slower? Uh, so I'm still here. Is by Austin Channing Brown. Stamp by Stamp from the Beginning is by Zindu. Um, and then Teaching to Tra- Teaching to Transgress um, is by Bell Hooks. And Bell Hooks actually has a great amount of series. She also has Teaching Community. So she has a series about the power of education to heal. So those are the three that I, I mentioned. Awesome. That, those are some great recommendations. And Kina, our last question is, what is the matter of your heart today at the timing of this podcast? You know, today it is full. I went to a Black-owned plant shop, local a local Black-owned plant shop. I was really excited and, you know, met this amazing Black business owner. Shout out to small black small black businesses, and we were just talking about blooming where you planted, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I was like, I'm on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's great advice. Recognizing that I don't have to, you know, you said the future causes anxiety, and that's just such a great reminder because a couple of days ago, I was walking on campus and the sun was out, and I was just enjoying the now, and I thought to myself, how often am I robbed of just enjoying the now. And so today I'm hopeful because I'm realizing that I can be full of peace now. I can feel strong now. I can feel connected now. Yes, do I have goals? Yes, do I have expectations? For sure. But my now is great. Mm -hmm. And so that's where my heart is, is just learning how to see the now is right where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I strongly believe in that. And um, that's great, Kina. I'm glad that you're in that place right now as well. That's a great yeah. to be. So this was Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast. I am your host, Janie Charlo, and we just had an amazing conversation with Ms. Kina Reed on how historical and social issues have shaped Black relationships 
Um, Tina, how can our listeners reach you really quickly? Okay, so I have an Instagram, and uh, that handle is at K-I-N-A-M, the number one. No, I was wrong. Well, actually, that's my that's my Twitter handle. So they can reach me via Twitter at K-I-N-A-M, the number one. That's at Keenum one. That's Twitter. Yeah. And if you're ever on the campus of LSU and Baton Rouge, they are the champions, right? That's what the streets are saying. No, I'm just joking. They are. <laughs> so if you're ever on the campus uh LSU, you can also find Kina there. Um, so Kina, thank you so much. And we're gonna wrap it up and we look forward to the next episode of Matters of the Heart and Soul Podcast. All right. Keep doing good work, Janie. Thanks, Kina. Bye.